Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Acts 16, verses 16 to 34. Listen for what God is saying to you. One day, when we were on our way to the place for prayer, we met a slave woman. She had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners through fortune-telling. She began following Paul and us, shouting, These people are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming a way of salvation to you. She did this for many days. This annoyed Paul so much that he finally turned and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. It left her at that very moment. Her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the officials in the city center. When her owners approached the legal authorities, they said, these people are causing an uproar in our city. They are Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas. So the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. All at once, there was a violent earthquake that it shook the prisoners' foundations. The doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer awoke and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called in some lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, Honorable masters, what must I do to be rescued? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your entire household. They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them in and washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household 
had come to believe in God. May God add a blessing of understanding and living out in this scripture passage. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the director of discipleship for Urban Village. Uh, all four sites, we have sites across the city of Chicago. And I'm so happy to see you this morning. Will you pray with me? God of breath and life, we take in a deep breath breathing in hope, and breathing out any fear or anxiety crowding our minds. We breathe in a breath of peace, and breathe out any violence. And we breathe in a breath of love, knowing that you, God, are present with us in this community and that we are not alone. It is in the name of our brother and friend Jesus that we pray. Amen. Paul and Silas in this moment of Acts are in Philippi, which was an important cultural center in the Roman Empire. You see, those who fought alongside Caesar Augustus were then rewarded, by, their loyalty was rewarded. They received a plot of land in this thriving city. And Paul, not originally scheduling to go to Philippi, but received a call from the Holy Spirit, traveled to this place where he met women and people who wanted to convert to this newfound faith of Christianity. So walking through the streets of this bustling city, he was approached. Uh, he and his followers were approached by a girl who was enslaved, a human who was forced to work tirelessly for someone else's financial gain, a woman who trolled the streets telling of the fortunes of others producing profits, not for herself, but for those who enslaved her and their growing economic appetite. So going about her usual day of sharing the divination of the terrible and the terrific, of telling the truth. She saw these Christian men, and she proclaimed not the future, but the exact reality of what they were doing. These men are servants of the Most High God, she said. They are proclaiming the way of salvation for you. And you would think Paul and Silas would be like, thanks, girl, yeah, free publicity. But instead, she was more like those human canvassers you see on 53rd Street. While I support LGBTQ plus rights, I often avert my eyes or cross the street to go to the other side. Something about her embodiment, her large waving of hands and shouting, the present forecasting, the calling of people to action set Paul and Silas off. The early Christian missionaries saw her as simply a cog in a machine of money-making. They knew she was a tool of profit for others. And so the men, kind of fed up but also a little embarrassed, set her free without a thought in the world of this truth-telling spirit. And, you know, I have to say, maybe it's perhaps the pernicious patriarchy that still persists today, or maybe it's just that the right, her story, like, runs out here, but we don't find out what happens to this girl. 
Her storyline is here, but we know that she is more than just a demon-possessed person. She is also a daughter and a human woman. So while we don't know her fate, we do know that her, the people who decided they owned her body, who saw her as simply chattel and profited from her personally, were so enraged by the change in her demon possession status that they demanded Paul and Silas be imprisoned for their overreach of power in freeing this woman from forced slavery. Those who believed that this young woman was a captive of their capitalistic desires dragged the men before the leaders of their city, and they said, these guys... They are stirring up trouble. They are changing the way we have always believed, uh, acted here in Philippi. They don't have any respect for what richness can afford. And so the rest of the crowd joined in the chance of lock them up. Paul and Silas then are beaten and bound in the belly of the beast, the prison industrial complex system of Philippi. The powerful of Philippi actually must have feared these men and God's ability to abolish slavery, God's ability to disrupt and erupt their economic structures, and they locked the men up, not just anywhere, but it says in the innermost corners of the jail. They shackled the men to the walls, fearing their escape of truth that the, Jesus, the, the God of Jesus cares little about profit margins, but cares so much more about freedom and equity for all. And those leaders had a right to be afraid. Because in the middle of the night after the graveyard shift had fallen asleep, the men began to sing. Did you know singing was a radical act? that singing can change lives, the power of their voices, their lack of silence in a moment of desperation brought about freedom. An earthquake rumbles through the jail and rips apart their restraints because Paul and Silas serve the God of Israel, the God of unburnt flaming bushes, the breaker of chains, the mother of all. Because Paul and Silas are Jews who follow Jesus, the undead Messiah who casts out demonic forces of power and calls others back into community. And so we breathe breath of hope, knowing that we serve a God who is not bound by chains. Because, girl, this story takes a turn. <laughs> you see, the jailer, the employee of the prison, then wakes up with a startle. Have you ever woken up with a startle of fear and takes out his sword to kill himself? And suddenly this story of newfound freedom feels a little different. It feels manipulated by someone else's fear. Suddenly freedom is tainted with the self-destruction of another person's life. Why? Why does he attempt suicide? Does he see that after the, these two men were punished for breaking the rules of social civility and loss of profit, does he fear his own fate and believe death by suicide is better than any other type of death? Or is there even more going on in his heart and his life? 
The truth is, for those of us who know what suicide looks like or who have experienced suicidal thoughts or ideations about dying by suicide or witnessed a family member or someone else suffer suicidal tendencies and or death, know the destruction that suicide and suicidal thoughts can bring. One does not choose suicide or leap to suicidal thoughts just as a moment of desperation. Instead, it is an outcome of mental illness when it is shamed into silence. It is an outcome of mental illness when mental illness is left uncared for by a clinician. It is an outcome when a society rejects those who suffer from mental health issues rather than welcoming back into community. It can be a, ter a result of a terrible circumstance in one's life, or more differently, it could be a chemical imbalance leaving someone considering that life is less valuable or desirable. And I want to warn that this can be triggering for those of us who maybe have experienced suicidal thoughts, who are presently toying with the idea of suicide, it can feel way too familiar and bring our gut sinking. And then for some of us, this can feel really unfamiliar and weird, and we want to distance ourselves from it. And so I want to recognize that within our community, there are two or multiple things happening all at once. But what we know is the truth that this jailer immediately assumed he should kill himself. Has he been on the brink of suicide before? And what else is going on in his life that he feels like this is the best option? Because he's not just a jailer. He's a father and a spouse. Just like the young girl was not just a slave or a human enslaved by others, she was a daughter and a prophet. But for some reason, the text doesn't go into detail about his motivations, about why life is so hard and shouldn't go on. So we take a breath. And we think about Instagram, because that's the place I go to. That's the way I get away from the harshness and the hardness of life. Every morning before I wake up or right as I wake up, I pull over my, throne, my phone and open up that little tab and scroll through pictures of cute puppies and perfectly curated lives and also some illustrators that I love. There's this one illustrator that I follow. Uh, she creates these stickers for mundane activities in the world. I didn't bottle it up, or I asked for help. She recognizes that small acts can be so difficult when life seems so hard, and yet we deserve a reward, a celebration. This is the reason I keep coming back to Instagram more specifically to artists on Instagram who share these things. But this is also the reason I keep coming back to Christianity and the reason I keep coming back to church and the reason I keep, pick it, keep picking up this book with confusing and complicated stories within it. Because I read texts sometimes and I sit in community sometimes and I say, that sounds true. I know what that's like. Oftentimes I find moments of lucidity that grounds my faith 
and speaks to the truth of my experience. Because life can be hard. And we know this is true because the Bible chooses not to gloss over it. Because those people who were compiling the Bible back in the day heard these stories of faith about truth-telling to power being punished, about stories of people feeling they were on the brink of suicide, and said, that sounds true. I know what that is like. And yet there is more to the story. Because we know this is typified in our understanding of a God who is with us, a God of salvation. Jesus suffers an unjust, horrific, and humiliating death on a cross. But suffering is not what, like, names and is our totality of understanding of Christianity. It is not just about suffering, and not just that we are alone in suffering, but that God suffers with us. God stands in solidarity with the sufferer. We know this because of Jesus, but we also know that suffering is not the end. So while we try really hard to protect our children from understanding suffering, while we work really hard to understand that life, to say that life isn't hard when it really is, we know the reality of our situations. Life is hard when your citizen status is upended by a morning tweet. Life is hard when employees of the state are set free to continually brutalizing black and brown bodies without retribution. Life is hard when debt seems to stack up in this never-ending cycle of predator versus prey. Life is hard when loneliness and isolation creep into the corners of our minds late at night. So yes, life can be hard. For the jailer that day, fear of the unknown, fear of the historical patterns of abuse, for the jailer that day, for some reason, life was especially hard. And while life can be hard, we have to do the hard thing today, which is living. In fact, some days that's the hardest thing we can do is simply live. That is some days the best, hardest thing we can do is simply live. And it's not something we talk about easily. The trauma to simply live, the cost of mental health and mental illness, it, it doesn't sell well. It's not super sexy to talk about survival, unless it's like the survival of a zombie apocalypse. The realities of life in a world that serves death for breakfast doesn't sell life well. Life is sometimes a regular struggle to get out of bed when the blanket of depression chokes out any feeling of hope or joy for the day. Life is a struggle, and it's a struggle not just for the weak. It's not a struggle for the uneducated or the unimaginative. No, life is a struggle in and of itself, and that's why it takes the strong to take time to recharge. That's why it takes really strong-ass people to share their feelings of fear and anguish with others. It takes a really strong person to remember to breathe or not to pretend like everything is fine when everything is not fine. 
It takes personal strength and the strength of a community to live. According to the National Association or Alliance of Mental Illness, one out of four people suffer from mental illness. That's one out of four. We just go off and count. And if you are LGBTQ plus, plus somewhere on the spectrum, you are three times more likely to suffer from a mental illness simply because of who you are and how the world experiences you. So mental illness does not discriminate who it affects. It is present in the lives of leaders. It is present in the lives of pastors. It isn't present in the lives of people of deep faith. It does not it does not discriminate against people based on their race or gender, religious affiliation, based on how well they tolerate gluten. <laughs> Mental illness does not give a shit if you've got your shit together or if you're just faking it till you make it. And while faith communities choose for some reason to remain silent about mental health needs, our Bible does not. Because our jailer quite possibly suffers from mental illness. And based on our understanding of history, based on our understanding of this reading, the jailer was unable to see a way forward. And what we gather from this author of Acts and the communities who chose to include this story, and what we gather from our retelling of the story here, is that the truthful telling of human experience, of a life lived, even a life following God, is that Christian community does not send people away, does not send people suffering mental illness away, but invites those people who may feel isolated or even isolate themselves and invites them into community. We are a community seeking to live out resurrection, seeking to embody the very things that Jesus embodied. And so we are called to discuss mental health and mental illness as a radical form, not just of self-care, but of community care. Because mental illness is just that. It is an illness. It's not a plague, it's not demon possession. And we don't talk about mental illness the way we talk about other illnesses in our society. We don't say like, did you see Pastor Emily? She has to wear glasses. <laughs> if only she would pray hard enough, that would just go away. No, because like glasses, treating your mental health is a condition that requires regular attention. And it is a regular thing that people can deal with and go back to living their lives. But it requires courage to address that maybe your eyesight is off, maybe you need some mental health care. It requires care from mental health providers and it requires a community that says, we don't need to fix your mental health, we need to sit with you in times of health and unhealth. So there is reciprocity because the community says, don't harm yourself. We are here, and it is also up to, up to us to say, I am here, how must I be saved? A church serving people healing from broken relationships and pain. We recognize that populations in our congregation are sometimes at higher risk for mental health conditions and trauma. Therefore, it is vital that we have a clear and open understanding 
that Jesus' call is to create community and to bring people back into community who have been ostracized, whether it's because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity or their mental health. We are to be the literal lights rushing into each other's presence. Just as the lights rush in with the jailer, some scholars believe this was people coming in with torches in the dark of the night to be with him. We too rush to the sides of our siblings of faith when life seems hard and overwhelming. And so we breathe in a breath of peace and breathe out fear and anxiety. Because you know what happens next? The jailer brings Paul and Silas home and has a party. And this party is not just for like any reason, it is simply to celebrate life. It is to say, I did the hard thing by choosing to live. What if we ourselves celebrated when someone went and got treatment or went to their counseling appointment or took their medication that's morning? What if we decided to celebrate life with one another in the simplicity that is life? And so, because I am a Baptist pastor, you may not know that, but I was ordained in the Baptist tradition that rejected me, and so here I stand before you <laughs> in the glory of God. But Baptist pastors uh, believe in ending their sermons with three takeaways for you. So in traditional Baptist fashion, I have three points and a poem. No poem, just kidding. <laughs> Point number one, the way we combat mental illness is through prayer. Not prayer to say that we're going to pray it away, but prayer to say, I practice this ritual that in times in the middle of the night when my eyes blink open for no reason I am, and I'm consumed with fear, I have this practice to rely on, this breath of hope. This breath of peace. And then I come to my community who engulfs me in prayer and stands in solidarity. This community who uses their voice as a form of prayer to work with legislators to make mental health treatments available and affordable for all. Point number two. <laughs> Another way to combat mental illness is through singing. Now, some of us hear that and go, oh, no thanks. And some of us say, yeah, glory be to God. Because singing somehow realigns our hearts through breath to uplift and release endorphins in our brain. And so in the middle of the night, you could be lying in your bed. And maybe you share your bed. Maybe you don't. And you begin singing loudly. And <laughs> but that song opens up your uh, diaphragm, bringing space into your brain to drive away the terrors. Whether it is a joyful noise or a joyless noise, it is a noise that brings about healing. And that is why when we show up together, we sing with one another. Because some days, I don't know about you, but my person standing next to me leans over and says, you need to sing more quietly. 
Or some days, I don't have the power within me to sing the words on the screen, and I need a community to lift their voice on behalf of me, to lift their belief on behalf of me, and that is why singing changes lives. And lastly, point number three, a way to combat mental illness is also by celebrating life. Because the struggle is real, and some days I am driving the struggle bus. Because some days death is real. But we are a people and serve a God of resurrection. Where death is not the end, but life is everlasting. And so praying and singing along with one another is also celebrating when life is hard that you chose to continue living. Celebrating when you feel like you have no other option, that you have a community that will pro provide facets of a multitude of options. Celebration of life is a recognition that the struggles of life are real, and you don't have to do it alone. That's why I want everybody to take out their phone or their iPad or their phone that looks like an iPad because it's so ungodly big. <laughs> And take a photo of this next slide on our screen, which is a photo uh, with the phone number for the National, Prevention, the National Prevention for Suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And you're taking this photo not maybe because you need it, but because maybe the person next to you needs it and they are too afraid to take a photo of it for themselves. And they don't have to feel alone. But you're also taking it because maybe you'll be sitting with someone who needs this phone number someday, and you go, oh, I got that, and you pull it up. Maybe late at night, you will also need this phone number sometime, and you will have it. But there is also a time, maybe, where you feel the courage to post it on social media and say, my community celebrates life. And if you need some life today, here's a number to call. My God celebrates life over death. And if you need a little bit of life over death today, here is a number to call. Because celebrating life is a radical practice. And so we breathe a breath of love, knowing that we are not alone. Will you pray with me? Living God, in you we know the power of resurrection because you stand with us in the difficulty of times. You move, through, you move with us through every sorrow and trial in this life and you uphold us, God, with the knowledge that there will be a final morning when the, your glorious presence of your son and we will share in his resurrection restored to the fullness of life, forever freed from the shackles of death to be your people. And so we pray for the courage now, God, to be a community of prayer, using our voice to uplift others, to be a community of song, using our voice to uplift others, and to be a community of celebration. Celebrate life with one another. So we pray in the name of our brother and friend, 
who overcame death with life. And so we can do it too. In Jesus' name.